0: I believe it was Brother Turner that said and it seemed good to me (laughs) and it seemed good to me this morning to say if the Lord willing I would be ministering on why we baptize in Jesus name and the benefits that there is in baptizing in Jesus name but that seemed good to me so didn't seem good to God And didn't seem good to the Holy Ghost. I was sitting real comfortably this evening. Seems like I had it all worked out. And then I run across something that I just really, really thought I needed some more prayer and study on. And I don't like to halfway do anything and halfway know something. And I began to do that. And while I was doing that, the Spirit whispered again. He does strange things to me, just like he did this morning when he whispered, Uh, those things to me and formulated a message in my heart. But while I was headed that direction and trying to get a more clear revelation on some things concerning taking on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, He just simply spoke some words to me and headed my attention in another direction and the words He spoke was faith at work. Faith at work. So as the Apostle Paul, I don't want to be disobedient to that heavenly vision. (laughs) I want to be in the will of God. So I'm going to read from the 14th verse of the 2nd chapter of James, on down maybe to the end of it, I don't know. But James is saying, "...what doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works? Can faith save him?" Now that seems contradictory, so let's kind of hold on to that. "...if a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food." And one of you say unto him, Depart in peace, and be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? Even so faith, if it had not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well, the devil also believes and trembles. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought his works, and by works was faith made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled which saith Abraham believed God, and it was imputed in him unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see then how that by works a man is justified, and not by faith only. Likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers, and had sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead... So faith without works is dead also. Father, we thank You for the reading of Your Word. We thank You, Father, because You speak to us when we're ready to listen, Father, and we pray that we would always be sensitive to You. Now, Father, we pray that You would anoint Your Word. You breathe upon it, Father. You make it become alive. You let it come across and let it prick the hearts and lives of individuals. And, Master, give the congregation an open heart and a mind that they might receive what the Spirit Saith unto the churches, we love you for it, Jesus, and give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. We hear a lot about faith. Some of it erroneous, some of it true. And it seems as if we have built our castles and our dream houses on the fact that all you have to do is just have faith and Everything will be fine. But James is meeting us where it hurts the worst. He's letting us know that without works, faith is dead. In other words, he's letting us know that they both have to work together. That one is not any good without the other one. Now, works cannot save you, but if you are saved, you will work. Amen. Amen. Oh, we are saved by the faith and we believe in the Lord and nothing we can do, regardless of what we try to do with our intellect, nothing we can do saves us. But after by faith we are saved by the works of the Lord Jesus Christ, then he expects us to put faith in action and unite faith and works and bring about something. Yes. I had to search my life on those things because... Sometimes we're prone just to say, God, I believe. And then try our best to leave the rest of it up to God. And faith, if we really have the faith in God and in what He's trying to do, then we'll put some feed upon our faith and we'll let it begin to work for us. And as He began to speak to me concerning faith at work, there's so many places I could have went and so many places I did go. But the Holy Spirit seemed to guide me to the Old Testament. And there in the Old Testament I was bogged down for a little while in the 13th chapter of Joshua and then I managed to get into the 14th chapter around the 6th verse. And there I found Caleb reminding Joshua that 45 years ago Moses swore that he could have the land that his feet walked on. And you've got to realize that Caleb was one of them that went with Joshua into the land and searched it out and brought back a good report. And with this, when Caleb's eyes fell upon a certain portion of ground, Caleb said, this is mine, I want it. I desire to have that, and he brought back a good report, possibly at the time thinking that because of the report, then Israel would march into the land, and he would sit and drive his stakes upon that piece of ground that he wanted. But instead, Caleb found that they was overcome or overruled by ten others who said they could not take the land. And Caleb, in his sorrows with Joshua, turned and went into the wilderness. And there he struggled went along with all the rest of them and watched his comrades die and watched all of those above 20 years except he and Joshua pass away from the scene having not yet realized the promise that Moses said was his. With faith he fastened his eyes upon that and that's what he said in his heart. And here they are going into the promised land now some Forty-five years later, and Caleb is looking at Joshua, and he's saying, look, I turned my back on that one time, and I realized that the rest of them overruled me, and that I couldn't have that mountain or that piece of ground right then. And I turned my back, and I walked for 40 years or better in that wilderness, and while I was walking there, I still had my mind upon that which God said was mine. I had set my feet upon it. I had looked at it. I would saw the goodness of God there that he said was there. And for all of these years, I haven't forgotten that God said it was mine. Amen. Amen. Now, what are you saying, Brother Hoshko? I am saying this. Uh, That he could have just turned his back and said, well, I tried to believe. I did my best to believe. I looked at it and I brought back a good report. And I tried my best to believe that was mine. But did you know it's been a year now? and I haven't received it. It's been 10 years now, and I haven't received it. It's been 20 years now, and I haven't received it. I don't think it's ever going to happen. But instead, he by faith got a hold of that, and it sustained him in the wilderness, and brought him out onto the other side, and caused him to look at Joshua, and said, Now for 45 years, I've had my eye on that thing, and I've always walked toward it. And you know that startles me to realize that he had turned his back and went the opposite direction and wandered in the wilderness, but something in that man's heart made him to believe that he was walking toward that promise of God all the time. That this was just a little detour that he was going to have to take. And I thought, God, you're so good to us, and you're not just telling Caleb that, you're telling a lot of us that, and you're telling us that tonight that God might have promised us something back then and we haven't received it yet. That friend, faith has to hold on. Faith has to walk. Faith has to realize that we may be in the desert place. We may look like we're headed directly opposite from God's promise. That the eye of faith sets on it and said, God said it was mine and I'm going to hold to it until it's mine. Until it is a reality. till I hold it in my hands. And he looked... And he said, I am this day 85 years old. In other words, I'm not as young as I was when I first looked at that piece of ground and said it was mine. It didn't look like I was ever going to get it. But I'm now 85 years old, and I yet am as strong this day as I was the day that Moses sent me to look at it. I don't know, I suppose he was as naturally strong but I think he was saying I am as spiritually strong as I was that day when I looked at it I have never wavered in my faith to believe that was mine, God said it was and 45 years later I'm standing here and he says and my strength was then so is my strength now for war both to go in uh, go out and to come in now therefore Caleb says give me this mountain give me this mountain it's been mine for 45 years and now I'm going to set my feet on it because I believed it and friend this was faith and works meeting together Faith would have been no value. It would have been dead if Joshua hadn't walked, trudged, believed, watched his comrades die, fell in the wilderness, and still he says, God is mine. God is mine. God, you said it was. Now, I don't know about you. And I have been in this thing for a little while. And others have been here a lot longer than I have. And i watched my comrades fall in the wilderness. And watched them die in the desert. And God has promised me some things that uh, I haven't gotten a hold of yet. And I'm still saying, God, give me this mountain. It belongs to me. I refuse to turn it loose. And years sometimes is not good to us. Sometimes if we're not careful, uh, years will dim our eyes. Years will weaken our body. But friend, there's nothing that years can do to faith of Almighty God in our life. And the desire to walk toward those things. Caleb could have sat down and he could have said, Well, here I am, but it's been 45 years. I'm not so sure that I want this mountain. Amen. Amen. Now why wouldn't he want that mountain? Because he still realized at that time the giants was there. (laughs) And they were still there. And he said, I don't care what's there. God said it was mine and I'm going to take it. Can you say hallelujah for Caleb? Amen. Amen. I'm not as young as I used to be. I've got less hair and more gray hair that I had when I first started out and let me tell you something I have got some things God said was going to be mine before my final days I've got some things God said was going to happen in my ministry before I close my eyes and sleep or until Jesus come I could sit down and say well I was mistaken Caleb could have said that every evidence that stared him in the face seemed to declare Caleb you just imagined those things if that was really yours, then it's a time that you claimed that you would have gotten it, Amen. If it was really yours, but Caleb's faith was strong, and he united that with works, and everything he did from that wilderness trek. And in that desert for 40, some 45 years, standing at a foot in the mountains a lot of time, everything Caleb did, every order of his life was not where he was then and where he was going to be when he came out into the place God said was his. Hallelujah. And so I can't rejoice sometimes where I'm at now as far as place is concerned at things I claim now. And I can't look at what I am now. I have to look at what God's going to make out of me if I keep on with Him. Faith at work. Faith at work. And he said, now you give me this mountain." Now Joshua could have said, but Caleb, you're 85 years old. <laughs> been 45 years and those giants have increased you can't have it but Joshua had as much faith as Caleb had and Joshua said it's yours you can have it don't go into much detail as to what happened but I believe if a man's faith sustained him and his works walking toward that for 45 years I think he got it don't you I think it belonged to him praise the Lord And then from there, after I got through shouting inside, (laughs) do you ever shout inside? (laughs) I mean, you just really shouted inside. And I thought, God's faith was at work. I mean, it really had to work to claim that. It really had to do something to keep that fresh and foremost in their minds. And then after I got through with that, he turned my attention to Genesis the 50th chapter, where Joseph had been in the land of Egypt and had been a great man. And as he died, he was still a great man. And all the wonders that Joseph did, he still realized Egypt was not his home. (laughs) Hallelujah. He still realized, this is not where I'm going to stay. And you know, he had so much faith that when he laid down to die, He called the children of Israel in and said these words, God is going to visit you and He's going to take you out of Egypt and when you go, I want you to carry my bones out with you. Friend, that's faith after death. That's working. In other words, He's saying, I want no part of me left in Egypt. I want the whole thing brought out of Egypt. I thought, God, that's what you're trying to tell us. Don't leave anything in Egypt. That's what good old-fashioned repentance will do for us. Don't leave anything in this world. Give it all to God and give charge that when resurrection comes, it will all be there. And Exodus tells us and Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. Hallelujah. The Lord gave me a message on that, and I've understood that my assistant at one time has carried that message all over (laughs) about the bones of Joseph. And he might have preached it here, I don't know, and it doesn't really matter. But God gave me a message on that one time, and just a brief review of that, of all the things that they got ready to leave Egypt with and all the harassment that they had, and all of the cows and stuff, and all of their belongings that they had in just a short time that they had to get out of Egypt with, after Pharaoh said they could go, here was Moses dragging a bag of bones. Hallelujah. And why was Moses doing that? Simply because the faith of Joseph took hold and said, I don't want you to leave me here. I may be dead. That might just be my bones, but I don't want to stay in Egypt. I want out of Egypt. I thought, God, I want out of Egypt. Hallelujah. I want out of Egypt. And the only way I'm going to get out is get my faith in action and begin to use these feet and walk out of Egypt. Believing God and yet putting effort in myself. God didn't say He would do it for us. He said, I will strengthen you and enable you to do it. So that means we've got to do something. Hallelujah. It said in Exodus then, He straightly swore to the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones away hence with you. So sure was He. So sure. That he gave this commandment and here they left. All these things with a bag of bones. Faith in action, faith in works. Then, after I looked at that for a while, it's hot in here. After I looked at that for a while, then God takes me over to Jeremiah and I thought, now how in the world has this got anything to do with what you told me? Jeremiah, the 32nd chapter, and Jeremiah is telling about buying a piece of ground. And he's subscribing the evidence and he's sealing it And he had witness to it, and he put it in an earthen vessel, and he buried it. And when you look at that, you wonder, what in the world is this man doing? Of What business is that being in the Bible? Who cares about Jeremiah? It's a common thing for him to buy a piece of ground. It's a common thing for them to subscribe the evidence. They have to do it and to seal it and put witness on it. And it's not uncommon for them to bury it so they alone know where it's at so that they always have proof that this ground is theirs. So what's so great about that? And you have to realize Jeremiah was putting a sign of faith on his own predictions about the restoration of Israel. And also he was putting a sign to Judah of a coming restoration. Because that very field that Jeremiah had bought and paid his money for was occupied by the Babylonian army. And it looked like there was no chance at all of any way for Israel to ever be reestablished, for this ground to ever be his, But the Lord had come to Jeremiah and said, I'm going to restore Israel to this land. It's going to be theirs. And in order to prove his faith in God, he buys that piece of land and he says it's mine. And did you know to this day he still hasn't been able to claim it? He's dead now. But he had faith in what God had to say about the prediction that Israel was going to have that land again, and they've got the land. Hallelujah. I said they've got the land. Jeremiah is not there uh, to see it and to have it. I read someplace in a little magazine I get where some kin of Jeremiah that goes back. They kept records. My God, I don't understand it all. But they kept records. And some kin is trying to find proof of where Jeremiah buried that thing and trying to find proof so he can claim that place of ground that Jeremiah had bought him. Hallelujah. I'm telling you, friend, that's faith. And that's working. Jeremiah didn't just say, Oh, Israel, you're going to be restored to your land. No, he didn't. He put some works into it. He took his very own money and he bought that piece of ground. And he subscribed it. And he sealed it. And he had witnesses to it. And he buried it. And he was saying to Israel, One of these days, you're going to come in and inherit that land. Hallelujah. And they're there, friend. It never looked like they could be, but they are. Hallelujah. Works. 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 In other words, God saying, Jeremiah, put your money where your mouth is. And that's good advice for a lot of us today. Amen. We talk about some good things, and we talk a good fight, uh, but we need to put our money where our mouth is. Because a moss is going to destroy it one of these days. It's not going to do any good for you to bury it. You're not going to take it with you. And if you've got any kids, all they're going to do is fight about it. And if you put it in the hands of Almighty God, and let Him justify you. And if we really got faith, we'll put some work into God's work. And we'll say, God, here it is. I believe what I'm talking about. I think that you're going to cover the earth with the good tidings and gospel. Hallelujah as the waters cover the sea. And you take what you have uh, justified me with. And that's not to say give away everything. I didn't say that. But some of us have overabundance of what we will ever need. You could start right now with a lot of people, and I don't know if there's any like that in eye or not, but you could start right now with a lot of people and they could spend and spend and spend until the day they die and never make a dent in the things that they have. And yet they say they love the Lord and want to see the kingdom of God ushered in. And Jesus plainly says, that I'm not going to come until the gospel is preached in all the world. Amen, Amen. Amen Brother Hoska. Oh, now he says that. That's Bible. Yes, it is. Amen. I didn't say that. I know he can come for me tonight. I know he can come for you tonight. But until the gospel has reached and resounded to the very corners of this earth, he can't come. He would be an unjust God if he did. And we say, God, I want to get the gospel. I want to get the gospel. God, I want you to come. What he's saying is put your money where your mouth is. In other words, there's people over there struggling and dying and trying to get the gospel to the dark corners of the earth. They're limited in their outreach. Oh, I know these great television preachers tell you they're reaching to the ends of the earth on their television ministry, but what are they going to do about places that don't have it? Amen. Places they don't even have a radio. There's calls for somebody that's got a burden of God that says, God, I've got faith enough in You to believe You sent me and I'm going to go. And God, You give me this mountain. Hallelujah. My voice is going. Praise the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. Jeremiah could have said, Israel, God's going to restore you. But that wasn't enough for Jeremiah. He said, I'm just going to show you how much I believe in God's prophecy. Just going to show you. Going to buy this piece of ground. Babylonian army's got it now. It just looks like there's no telling how many armies has trampled over that piece of ground. There's no telling how many nations has owned that piece of ground. But Jeremiah says, it's mine. I bought it, and I paid for it, and it belongs to me. I'm going to prove to you that I believe that Israel is going to be established in their own land. From Jeremiah to Daniel, God had shown Daniel a lot of end-time events. A lot of things was as mysterious to Daniel as they are to us. And yet, with our little flashlight minds, we have tried to unravel some greatness that even Daniel himself, who had the visions, could not understand. Amen, brother God. And while we have been trying to do that, we have commentary after commentary telling us exactly how Jesus is going to come and exactly what is going to happen. And what we are doing is living off the dead men's brains. Not waiting until God reveals to us what He's going to do. My father was a prophetic preacher. A lot of the things that he said has come to pass. A lot of things he said has not and they may not. And that's not belittling him. I was headed the very same way. And I have some ideas. And I believe I can back them by the Bible. But there's some gray areas. There's some areas that's not really branching out that I don't fully understand. I don't like to dabble in things I don't fully understand. I don't like to talk about anything I don't fully understand. I don't like to get a hold of some little light here and takes off into the darkness and then let the light go out and I don't know where I'm at. And Daniel was the same way and he got those visions. The Bible says in the 12th chapter, I believe it is, 8th verse, and he said, I heard, but I understood not. And then I said, "Oh, my Lord, what shall be the end of these things? And verse 9, And he said, Go thy way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed till the end of time. Hallelujah. We are living in the last days. We could be living in the last hours of the last days. But friend, I want to remind you of something, that there is coming a breeding of the Holy Spirit upon the minds of man that's going to completely shatter his modes and desires and the way that he has set forth that Jesus Christ has to come. We have simply bottled him up. And we've simply said this is the way it's got to be. Daniel was told you, shut those things up. They are closed and they're sealed. And there's a lot of things we're not going to understand until just prayer, until the coming of Jesus. And then He's going to send forth His messengers and His church under the vibrating power of the Holy Spirit filled with the mighty power of God and Christ with revelations from heaven and going to storm the world and prepare for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And do away with the inconsistency of man. And prophecy is going to be breathed upon and what Daniel saw is going to be understood at last. Not by the intellectual man but by the Spirit of God. Danny then he relates some of the happenings during that time. You can read it. I don't have time to do that. And after the Spirit or whatever it was, the angel or God had given Daniel those visions and revelations, tells him some of the things that's going to happen, mentions some days and all of this. And then he says, but go thou thy way till the end be. Because, Daniel, you're going to rest. You're not going to be here. You're not going to see these things. But Daniel want to tell you something. After that, you're going to stand in your lot at the end of the days. Hallelujah, Daniel. Oh, yes, he walked. Oh, yes, faith and works met. And he held on to that. Because, friend, listen. When you see all these mysterious things, and God won't reveal them to you, and you just pin them down for generations after that to know about it, and then God says, you're going to rest. I'm going to let you go to sleep. And I want you to know, Daniel, that when that time comes, you're going to get up out of that grave, and you're going to stand in your lot. Hallelujah. When that day comes, there's nothing that can take away your promise of eternal life. And Daniel rested in faith and gave up the ghost, and he died. Hallelujah, and he's still resting. He's still waiting. Hallelujah. Over to the New Testament. Are you tired? Not as tired as I am. (laughs) Praise the Lord. Chapter. I lived in that chapter for a long time. Said so many wonderful good things, and I've ministered. I don't know. I think I could minister a month off the 14th chapter of Matthew. But I think I've covered some of this. But what was it we said this morning? Peter wrote and said, I want to put you in remembrance, though you once knew this. <laughs> hey, man, I want to call to your remembrance that John's disciples had saw John beheaded and buried him. And they did exactly what Jesus had told them to do, or John had told them to do, when he simply looked at him and pointed and said, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. In other words, John said one time, I must decrease, but he must increase. In other words, John paved the way for his disciples after his decease to turn to Jesus. And after John's decease, they turned to Jesus. And Jesus heard what they said. And then he turns his back on them, leaderless as they were, as sorrowful as they were. He turns his back on them, gets in a ship, and goes on the other side. But that faith was so instilled by John the Baptist that this is the one they should follow. And they realized it might not be easy to follow Him. John was hard to understand. And this God-man might be a little harder to understand. But Their faith in John was great enough to believe that when he pointed them to Jesus and told them to follow Him, that's exactly what they were supposed to do. And you would imagine... And when Jesus saw them in that strait there, and that sorrow, that He would have just simply reached out and touched them and comforted them. But instead He turned and He left them. And their faith was so solid in this man that they walked 31 miles around that lake just to get where Jesus went. Friend, that's faith in Jesus. And He put some feet on that. And not only did they go, but they took their sick and their afflicted with them knowing when they got there that Jesus would heal them. That's faith, friend. A dimension that seems to be missing in our day and hour. If it's not handed to you, I'm sorry if it's late. I don't have my watch. And I can't see that clock. Praise the Lord. Brother Walton put a piece of paper over that and I can't see it. So some of you that are looking you to watch, holler out sometime and say it's 8.35. Okay. Hallelujah. And they walked 31 miles on foot. Because some way faith had to have some feet. And they had to believe that Jesus knew what He was doing. And friend, there's a lot of times when it seems like He ought to be there. And it seems like of all the times for us to not be able to get to Him, for all the times that we really need Him, He seems to be so far away. And all He's doing is just waiting for us to pick up our belongings and for us to get a hold of our sickness and our affliction and go where He's at and He'll meet us and He'll heal our bodies. And He'll save our souls. Amen. Peter, in closing, hallelujah, urges us to put our faith in action for a final and most important test. Peter says now, you're going to have some tests all the way along. You're going to have some problems all the way along. But he said there's going to come a time when your faith must work. And it's going to receive its most strenuous and important test. When he admonishes us, there will arise in the last days scoffers saying, where is the promise of his coming? And when they say that, every child of God We'll have to believe that as far as we can ascertain, generation after generation has lived for the coming of the Lord, and they've laid down in peaceful slumber, and He hasn't come yet. And the words they say for everything remaineth the same as it was since our fathers fell asleep. As far as the carnal mind is concerned, We have to listen to what He says and what they say. Or they'll say it in the last days and they're saying it now. And they're saying it in Christian circles. Where is the promise of His coming? And Peter says, you're going to have to have more than just a snap of your finger face. You're going to have to have some staying power. And he says, "Uh, most assuredly, in answer to that, but the day of the Lord will come. It will come. It doesn't make any difference. Peter is saying how much and how loud they proclaim that the day of the Lord will not come and that everything remains the same. He's simply saying, you've got to have faith to believe that we're nearing the end of time and we are. And you've got to search the signs of His coming. And you've got to go 2,000 years ago and you see Jesus as He stretches out His arms and blesses the 500 and disappears out of their sight and sends an angel to tell them that the way you've seen Him go away that same way He's going to return again and you've got to say the blood of the Lord will come. Hallelujah. Regardless of what circumstances indicated, it will come. Hallelujah. Because he said the Lord is not slack concerning His promise. As some men count slackness. But he said there's a reason why that He hasn't come. Because He's long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. And then I want to read the rest of this in closing. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and elements shall melt with fervent heat, and the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved. What manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? What a challenge that is to our life to live in the first face of our adversary, to live in the face of circumstances. have said it could be years. How Peter simply says, ye ought to walk in all holy conversation and all godliness. How then he says, looking far and hastening the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we according to His promise look for a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that you may be found of Him in peace without spot and blameless? Friend, the greatest test there is is for us to live. I'm talking about live and put our faith enough in Him and we'll be able to live tomorrow as if it would be our last day and prepare as if it would be a hundred years before He comes again. Our last test and account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. Even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, also in all his epistles, speaking to them of things in which are some things hard to be understood. In other words, there's some things you're not going to understand. But That must not dim your face. You must walk toward that just the same and realize those things are yours which they are that unlearned and unstable rest as they do also other Scriptures into their own destruction. In other words, Peter is telling us that there's going to be people that's in the Scriptures. There's going to be ministers that's in the Scriptures. They're taking the Scriptures, but they're using them themselves the way they want to use them and they're twisting them and resting them into their own destruction. But he's saying, Ye, therefore, beloved, seeing you know these things, beware lest ye also, being led away with the air of wickedness, fall from your own steadfastness. But then he says, But grow in grace, having the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. He closes it. But he says, faith has to walk through the dimness of the valley. Faith has to get a hold and walk towards something maybe that has not been yours and God said it was. I know there's individuals here that God has said it's yours. or they're yours. You're going to get them. We walked in this wilderness of this world and dwelled in this cruel, cold chamber of this world. We haven't saw any of that come to pass. But friend, one time our feet stood on that promised land. God said it was ours, and we saw it, and it was beautiful. We might have to wander in the wilderness. I don't know how long we have to be there. But Caleb says, that's the only thing I had that kept me going for 45 years was this mountain. Now you give it to me. One of these days, that which has kept us going for years It's going to be ours. I have some promises. I have some things that God said was going to happen in my ministry. It hasn't happened yet. I've had a lot of things that He said would happen. God told me some time ago if I would have just just some way have grasped hold of it and walked like Caleb. He told me some time ago of the work that I would be doing in an instance right now. I looked at it and when He gave me that, I was just a little unlearned country boy that had never passed through the church. And he sent me into a town called Clare and There I was, right in, in the midst, there with nothing whatsoever, hardly any learning other than what I learned under my dad. And God laid me down one time and told me some of the things that was going to be mine and some of the areas that I was going to minister in. And for 19 years I stayed in that one place and I knew there was no way that that could come about in that place. And I almost just gave up as I said, God, it looks like I'm here forever. And then right when I got settled, God said, you remember that promise that I gave you and your feet touched it? Well, it's yours. It's yours. And I said, but God, I'm not as young as I used to be. I'm settled here. And my kids are here. And my family's here. I just can't do that now. And then he kept saying, but remember, your feet stood on that and how you rejoiced because that was going to be yours. Hallelujah. And then I closed my eyes and I got a vision of what it was going to be like. And you know what God did? He showed me first the good things (laughs) he showed me all the good feelings that I was going to get when I just reached down and helped individuals and counseled individuals and helped them work through their problems and and got to see them uh, with long fulfilled promises and he showed me all the good things and oh I felt so good and he let me know that there's giants in the land it really wasn't going to be easy and when I left He let me know that I was leaving financial security. I was leaving a church that loved me. I was leaving a congregation of over 200. I was leaving a good work. I was going out not knowing where I went. He told me that. But he also let me know that my feet could stand on these promises. There's some more out there just as sure as these have been mine those others are mine I think brother Johnny Buford is 80 some odd years old I haven't talked to him but I would imagine there's some things God said was his maybe he hasn't received yet he's 90 isn't he he's too old to get them (laughs) no no he's not it can be just like Caleb God you said they was mine now I'm going to have them Sister Wilma Sister I.D. Brother Donnie Brother Brother Gerald any amount of things out there God says this is your life you can have it and life seems to have passed us by and all we have is a dream or a vision is that enough to sustain us it ought to be because that's all our forefathers had and many of them laid down in peaceful slumber I think my wife ministered this morning in a Sunday school lesson these all died not having received the promise does that mean they don't have it Uh -uh. (laughs) doesn't mean that at all it just means that God having provided some better things for us and when you look at their lives and what they got from God and the things that was wrought by God in their life and imagine that God has reserved something better for us we ought to be ashamed of ourselves when we come sometimes so complacent and give God such a little bit of our life and get so faithless in our dreams that we fail to go to God. Right, right. Faith that works. And he said, Beloved, faith without works is dead. There's a lot of dead faith in life. Stand with me. Musicians would come. And